We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome to the Pro Sports Podcasters. I'm your host, Neil Wallace-Bruce. And as always, I'm joined by Justin Williams. Justin, how are you doing? Living the dream. How about yourself there, boss? I'm good. I'm good, good, good. And... I'm even better because they're a special guest. We have a returning guest, friend of the show. He joined us earlier on during the hockey season, and he's back, back to talk a little bit of tennis because he's a play-by-play announcer for the U.S. Open. It is Steve Mears. Mearsy, how you doing, mate? I'm good. How are you? Great. We're happy in Canada. We had some shining lights in the, the men's and the women's singles draw with Layla Fernandez and Felix Ogier Aliasim going deep in the respective draws. But how did you find the tournament? I thought it was an incredible event all around. Uh, and the biggest thing was the fans were back, and, and the crowds made a big difference. The previous year, of course, was played with no fans, so you had no atmosphere. The players actually encouraged us people like myself media members staff members to gather around and go to the courts the the ones that were there at the venue working just to try to generate some type of atmosphere and that was not necessary this year uh you didn't need anything manufactured it was just a lot of emotion and a lot of enthusiasm by the, the great crowds in new york and they really rallied behind some of the younger players and in the end they rallied around Novak Djokovic in the championship and that was cool to see even though it was Daniil Medvedev who was the the men's champion but uh overall that's that's what I'm going to take away is that the fans were back and they had an influence in the outcomes of a lot of matches for sure and just touching on the the men's final Djokovic was he was on the cusp of a golden slam golden slam being a sorry a calendar grand slam he did not win the gold medal I will correct myself, but a calendar grand, grand slam, which is a rare, rarity, winning the four majors in the same year. He just fell short. Do you feel, though, that Daniel Medvedev's win has reinvigorated men's tennis, or do you still think it's Djokovic's game and we're all just watching him shine? Well, I think the pursuit of the calendar grand slam gave tennis a big jolt, but I think uh on the women's side, the the youth was really what put tennis back on the map if it ever left. I mean, uh, to see Leila Fernandez, Emma Raducanu, and then on the men's side, Carlos Alcaraz as an 18-year-old and doing what they did, I think that garnered a lot of attention. And there were a lot of mainstream sports fans who tuned in to the U.S. Open, especially on the women's side. But Uh, Also on the men's side, too, just to see these young players because they were great stories. And uh, it was something we'd never seen before. Emma Raducanu going through the entire tournament without losing a set and doing it as an 18-year-old. And Leila Fernandez, 18 and 19 years old. And then they meet in the final. And it was just great theater, storybook finish for Raducanu. And, uh, yeah, going back to Djokovic, I think that pursuit really uh, opened a lot of eyes around the sports world. People were wondering 
will he be able to do it in New York? All you do is look at the celebrity list that was out in, uh, for that championship match. I mean, you had everybody from Brad Pitt to Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Henrik Lundqvist. Everybody wanted to go to that match in New York to see if he was going to be able to pull it off. And in the end, he wasn't able to. But uh, I think the win by Daniil Medvedev is uh, well-deserved. And now it is kind of a changing of the guard, possibly, as you see Rafael Nadal getting older and Roger Federer older as well. And now multiple surgeries. Uh, I think you're seeing a young player like a Medvedev and some others that uh, have an opportunity now to make their impression on the game and uh, hopefully win some grand slams and maybe it ushers in a new era of tennis. Yeah, you love to see. You love to see the, the youth come through and the kids are definitely all right in tennis. Speaking of kids, Justin. Yes. Hi. How you guys doing? Sorry, I'm, I'm so... so- I was so enamored by everything that was going on, especially with the Canadian atmosphere with both Canes and their Lenny Fernandez and everything. But I was really, really hooked on the uh, the mixed doubles there. And I was glued to watching uh, Joe and Desiree kind of go like on their teams against Marcelo and Golan. It wasn't as hyped as I would like it to be, but what was your take on watching that final? Oh, it was fantastic. Uh, I think just I was happy to have mixed doubles back at the event. Because we didn't have yeah, it same. last year. We also didn't have the juniors last year. That was another uh, sad part about the pandemic U.S. Open is that we had some of those uh, disciplines that weren't a part of it. So I was lucky. I got to call some of the uh, mixed doubles matches and got a chance to see some great players. Uh, one who really stood out was Ellen Perez of uh, Australia, and uh, she was fa- really fun to watch. But, uh, yeah, it was just great to have all the different disciplines back. And the juniors, too. The juniors, uh, to be able to watch the the future stars. Some players were the kids of former pros or legendary players. Others we've heard of, but then to see them in person. uh, Someone like Robin Montgomery, who's a young American. She was in the main draw last year and uh, had a great run in the juniors. So I think just to have the juniors and the mixed doubles back was just uh, really exciting. And uh, I was glad that we were able to have the full U.S. Open experience with everything from singles, doubles on down. I was going to say, what also kind of surprised me was Joe and Desiree had five aces to none. I was like, damn, these guys are really like, it didn't seem fair after watching it. Although I watched a tournament going up to it and I thought it was going to be closer. Do you, do you have a guess as to why it was such a big difference between the two? No, I think you just have a lot of talent and uh, that's a big part of this game. You see that strength of serve and then especially in the doubles game, the accuracy of serve. That's another one thing that as I work with a lot of these analysts and former players, I was really lucky that I got to work with some fantastic doubles players who had great careers. Uh, you see the importance of that aspect of the doubles game. So uh, it, it was fascinating. And, I, and I'm, I wasn't someone who had called much mixed doubles before, but mm-hmm. to see that whole dynamic and uh, to be able to call some of the matches, uh, I was just so impressed by uh, both the men and the women and the whole the strategy that goes into it. And then the excitement. I mean, some of the doubles points in general that you see are so thrilling. I mean, the agility, the reflexes, the the net play. I, I was just uh, I was just blown away. I think any fan, if you ever attend one of these events and you have a chance to go to one of the side courts and just appreciate the doubles game up close, I think it's uh, as good tennis as you're going to see, and it's uh, it's definitely going to bring you out of your seat. I agree. I usually get pooped on for uh, enjoying mixed tennis over or doubles tennis essentially over singles but i digress 
Yeah, just staying with the theme of doubles, I've got to ask because Sam Stoza, she was on, she was one half of the winning doubles pair on the women's side, but she def- they defeated Coco Goff and Katie McNally. Now the Williams sisters, they've they've carried the flag for U.S. women's tennis for I guess the quarter of a century, pretty much. But we're seeing so many young players come through, like Coco Goff, Sloane Stevens. Um, this, there's a number of young players. The, the future's looking bright for the women. Would you agree? Absolutely, yeah. On a, on a number of different fronts. Uh, I think going back to 2019, Mick Coco, is, uh, they were a sensation back then. And now uh, we kind of look at both players, McNally and Goff, as almost like they're veterans. But we have to remember they're teenagers too. So, they, yeah, the youth, those are the names I mentioned earlier, Fernandez, Raducanu, Alcaraz. But we can't forget about the doubles team of Goff and McNally that had a great run again. And uh, they, the enthusiasm that they play with, it, it's just, it brings fans out of their seat. The, the fans rally. Obviously, they're going to have that support because they're American, but also the way that they play and the energy that they play with and the fact that they have each other's back and they, they're just a good team. They play well together. So, uh, I was lucky enough to call one of their matches, and and uh, you you saw that they had taken the next step as far as their chemistry, and I wasn't that surprised that they went as far as they did. You love to see it. Speaking of getting fans out of their seats, as you mentioned, hockey's coming back. Are you excited for the preseason for the Penguins? Absolutely, yeah. I uh, can't wait to get going here. We're really close to, what is it, a week away from our first preseason game. Uh, I think there's a lot of excitement. There, there was the curveball that everybody here in Pittsburgh was dealt uh, with the Crosby news. Sidney Crosby going to miss the start of training camp and the start of the season with uh, wrist surgery, something that's nagged him for a while now. So he's had to deal with that. And eventually, after the entire summer of resting and seeing if he could play through it, unfortunately, they, they just came to the realization that surgery was required. The good news is it's a minimum of six weeks. We still have time to go before game one. He'll miss the start of the year, but not too many games. And hopefully the Penguins can just stay afloat in that time while they're without their best player. But uh, I'm really excited. I think uh, I think with that injury news, to me, that means, especially early in the year, it's an opportunity for younger players to get into games. And the Penguins have a few that we've seen glimpses of here and there, a uh, couple of draft choices and prospects. But now I think they're going to get a longer look in training camp and maybe there to start the season because both Crosby and Malkin will not be there for game one. Right. So, and I guess in a way they're getting extended rest. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Hmm. So I'm glad you brought up Crosby and Malkin kind of being, well, obviously a little MIA given the fact of everything. But do you think that Tristan Jerry will be able to kind of step up again? Because he had a bit of a dismal season last year. He did. He had a bad playoff. Um, you know, the regular season, he started poorly, then hit his stride and was looking very good. And that's the reason why the one of the biggest reasons why the Penguins won the division, but then struggled in the playoffs. There's no question about that. Uh, I do think he's going to put the work in going into the year, already has back home. And we have to remember, he's only 26 years old. That was his first time as a number one goaltender in the NHL. So that's something that every goalie has to navigate the pressures of that. I think he's going to learn from that experience and is going to come back better. And he's going to have to if the Penguins are going to go as far as they intend to. And they they do still believe that when they're healthy, they're a Stanley Cup contender. But you have to have the goaltending. I mean, that's the most important position in this sport. 
it's no coincidence that arguably the two best netminders were the remaining goaltenders in Vasilevsky and Price. And of course, there are yep. others who went far in the playoffs, but, but you have to have goaltending. Penguins didn't have it in the playoffs last year, but I do think Tristan Jari, 26, is relatively young for that position and a, a guy who didn't have a whole lot of playoff experience coming into last year. So I think it's part of the process. And uh, if he were to struggle, I'm sure Ron Hextall would make a move to acquire a goaltender because the expectations for the Penguins are high and they, they realize Ron Ekstall, of all people, knows how important that position is. So speaking of Ron Hextall making moves and also lack of playoff experience, how serious were the Penguins in on Jack Eichel? Slash, are they still interested? Uh, I haven't heard that at all. <laughs> I oh, really? don't see how that's even close to being possible with the salary cap and the fact that they have two number one centers, basically. Uh, I did not hear that rumor one bit, and I would love for Jack Eichel to someday be wearing black and gold, but there is no way I think the Penguins can make that work under the current salary cap. Well, the salary cap sucks. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of the salary cap at all. <laughs> but I agree. Like I would love to see – because Jack Eichel, knee for – in case you're not aware of this, Jack Eichel is basically not happy in Buffalo at all. And he's made it, he's made it clear. He wants to get some surgery done too. And, and Buffalo is basically like, nah, son. Um, so he wants out for numerous reasons, that being one of them. Kind of like Connor McDavid doesn't really want out of Oilers, but if he were to go, you can understand. It's just he's tired of carrying the team and it is what it is. But uh, I don't know. I feel like... I feel like Jack Eichel would go to the, would go to Pittsburgh if he wanted to take a pay cut. I think you'd do it. I legit think he would because he wants to win a cup. And, you know, especially with, you know, Crosby out and Malkin out, you can now be the number one guy temporarily. And even still, imagine Jack Eichel as your third line center. Like, get out of here. Get it. Gross. That's disgusting. That's not even fair. You can find Steve Miz on Twitter at MizzyNHL. Thank you for your time this evening. All right. Great talking with you guys. Enjoy the hockey season. Oh, will do. Will do. Excited. This episode is brought to you by the good folks at New Smile. Just use the code PROSPORTS to get $150 off any of their teeth aligning kits. So turn up the dial on your smile with New Smile. Now on to the show. So as an added bonus to today's episode, I'm going to ask our resident NHL analyst, Justin Williams, a few questions about the upcoming season. Primarily, who's going to win each division, who his picks are. Justin, how's it going? Living the dream and yourself. I'm solid, but I'm kind of interested to hear what you're going to say about these different divisions. Let's get right into it. Let's begin with the Atlantic Division. Who do you think is going to win that? Okay, so <clears throat> here's the thing. We all saw Montreal Canadiens go in that heater of a beast that was their playoff run. And that was great, and that was fantastic, and we love them for that. However, during the offseason, they lost some key players. They traded some. They got some decent players back, but it's not the same team. And without going into too much detail, I do predict Montreal to make the playoffs. I don't predict them to top the Atlantic Division, though. Okay, well, one second before you go on. What about that guy they drafted that's got all the sexual harassment issues against him? Is he going to play this season or, at all or no? No, no, he's not. He's actually – hold on a second. The last I heard, there was an arbitration on his ban. Their draft, they got uh, Logan Malio. He is officially banned from the OHL. Okay. And they're still debating if they're going to let him play in the NHL. All right. So there is a possibility that they could still maybe bring him up. There 
is, but what I think Montreal might have to do is they're probably going to have to ship him over to the KHL for experience, which is fine. I mean, Austin Matthews went over to the Swedish League and came back a beast. Uh, mind you, he was just too young at the time for the draft anyway, so it didn't really matter. I think he was playing in Sweden, correct, right? He was, yeah. And he was considered a high-value target in the draft. Oh, God, yeah. Like, but no one wanted to touch him. him except Montreal. Yes, Logan, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it French, right? Yeah, we. Oui, oui. <laughs> All right, so yeah, who's your pick for the Atlantic Division? Uh, so my Atlantic Division coming up would be, and this is going to be a little, a little testy, but it's going to be the Lightning, only because I can't see Toronto, especially with their lack of defense on the left side now, because we got rid of a few players. Our left side is very weak. We're very strong on our right. We're very dominant on our center. But now we have a weak left side. Where before we had a strong left, strong center, strong right, but a weak back. Now we have a decent back, but we're weak on the left. So we're not going to have as much scoring opportunities. And we didn't increase our defense that much. So we're going to have games that are like 5-3 every night if we win. It's going to be Golapalooza for whoever Toronto faces. But Lightning still have their sturdy defense. They still have the Vesna Trophy winner. Which actually, I mean, he was robbed of the Vesna Trophy. Balskanevsky, Balskanevsky, I can't pronounce their names. Uh, he was robbed. He's he's won it before. He's the best goalie in the league under Carey Price. So, I mean, with with that in your defense, that in your lineup, I definitely predict the Lightning to take the Atlantic Division easily. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, my wild card in the Atlantic Division would have to be the Florida Panthers. Really? Yeah. They were dominant last season. They didn't uh, exactly do enough to, to impress me going to the playoffs, but uh, they did enough and they added enough pieces this season to make it a nice, nice little little tip of the iceberg for you. Like just to give you a little bit of an example, they added Joe Thornton from Toronto. He's a veteran presence, as we all know. He can score about 16 goals a season, and he doesn't lose his head during tough situations. And yet they have Reinhardt playing on the right wing, and they have my favorite centerman, Sam Bennett. Ah, it's a good time. I mean, I love watching this team play. But you are picking the Leafs to make the playoffs, correct? Yo, Leafs will make the playoffs, 100%. Okay, solid. Let's move on to the Metropolitan Division. Uh, Metropolitan. <laughs> this is going to be fun. So they, they have big boys in there, right? You're looking at Metropolitan, and you're looking at Capitals. You're thinking Penguins, Hurricanes, Rangers. This one is going to be a bit of a who-can-stay-healthier kind of race. So my top pick for that would, would be probably New York Islanders to take it. Okay. They had a good run last year. They did indeed. Yeah, and they only got better as well. And then my wild card would have to be uh I don't know if they, some people would argue saying they're not really wild card, but I don't always trust them, and that's the Carolina Hurricanes, especially when they paid six million dollars to a Montreal player that did not deserve it. <laughs> Just in spite of Montreal. Okay. All right. But obviously there's a lot of powerhouse teams in that division. There'll be a number of oh real contenders God. that come out of it in the playoffs themselves. And just as we spoke with, with Mears about Pittsburgh, you know, we have Malkin and Cindy Crosby. They're out for a bit because of injuries. So as I'm saying, if Pittsburgh can be healthy, yeah, I can see them taking the number two spot. Sure. But are they going to be healthy? We don't know. And so that's why Pittsburgh could essentially be out and then Carolina moves up, which then doesn't really make them a wild card. But then in that case would move, I'd assume Washington Capitals into the wild card position, maybe even Philadelphia. It's a bit of a log jam. Okay, now moving on to the Western Conference, one that's not as close to our hearts, but obviously you've got opinions there. Let's begin with the Central Division. Oh, the Central Division. How, how you tease me. All right. So Central Division, 
We all know that magical run the St. Louis Blues went on a few years back where they won the Stanley Cup and we're all like, oh my gosh, they didn't really need to deserve it. That's not happening for a long, long time. So what I think is going to happen, I think Dallas is going to take the first spot and wildcard. You know what? It's going to have to be Chicago and St. Louis taking it because this one has two two wildcard spots, the Central Division. Okay. So I'm going to go with... Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with St. Louis and Chicago taking the their wild card. Okay, you don't yeah. sound very very uh, sure about your picks on that one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's because okay, my mix right now is Colorado and Winnipeg. Okay, so Winnipeg no longer has Patrick Laine, which is fine. He was kind of a bit of a you know doorknob, anyways. And then they went to Colorado, or no, so he went to Columbus. But Colorado has um, oh my god, he played for the Leafs, Nazem Kadri, and he always gets suspended always that is his mo come the playoffs but that's the thing he's good but he gets suspended all the time so out of like colorado winnipeg st louis and chicago i don't really count minnesota like they're good but eh. it, dallas number one and out of those four i mentioned it could be a toss-up but i'm going to stick with dallas colorado winnipeg st louis chicago okay okay now moving on to pacific division mm, can we not <laughs> <laughs> come on some classic Canadian, classic Canadian teams in this division, buddy. Come on. I know. But here's my issue. They have the Kraken, and I don't know how they're going to do. So this is why I didn't want to do this division at all, because I'm going to eat poop for this if I'm wrong. But here's my takes. We're going to have Vegas finishing first, Edmonton finishing second. Now, you could argue that with Dreisaitl and McDavid, again, they're hungrier this year, and McDavid is starting to rumble that he wants to leave a losing team, which makes sense. Edmonton is going to have to go hard, but I... I just can't trust Edmonton's defense. So I'm not going to put them as first. Vegas, as we know, they went deep in the playoffs. They did lose to Montreal. I don't know how, but they did. And then got the Vancouver Canucks, Calgary Flames. I don't trust anything from California, LA, San Jose, Anaheim. They're they're all write-offs for me. It's the Kraken and Calgary that I am not too sure of what's happening in this area. Okay, I'm I'm all in on the Golden Knights. They've done nothing but impress me since they entered the league. I'm not that into the NHL when it comes right down. I follow it loosely, but the Golden Knights just seem to be a solid contender to me. So I I would pick them to win the Pacific Division myself, even as a layperson. Yeah, that's the thing. So I have full trust in, in Vegas Golden Knights. I'm a bit on the uh, the bandwagon too, just because the Newfoundland Growlers have the exact same emblem for their team, like the black and gold. Okay, so I'm a bit biased when it comes to Vegas Golden Knights. They have an affiliation with kind of Newfoundland as well as Toronto. So it's a very interesting little conundrum they have going on there. But yeah, so Pacific Division, Vegas, Edmonton, Vancouver. And just because I'm Canadian, I'm going to say Calgary, but I can see Seattle taking it. Okay, solid. So there's our picks from Justin, who he thinks are going to win each division. Named a few wild cards there, teams that could potentially make the playoffs. Let us know on any of our social medias who you're rooting for if justin made any really egregious errors in his picks i can't tell if he did i'm not that close to it but i'm sure some of you are and if there's somebody we should really be watching this particular season regardless of division or team that you think is going to really stand out this particular year thanks for listening and don't forget to follow us on instagram at pro.sports.podcasters for the most current sports news